It's the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. For my crazy day, my packed commute, all those unread emails in my inbox. But I'm getting stronger, faster, and pushing myself further every day. I don't care if I'm not like everyone else. This punching bag is the best way to end my day. <laughs> Whew. Fearless is knowing yoga isn't your style. That's the power of the Blue Cross and Blue Shield Federal Employee Program. Learn more about our healthy benefits at fepblue.org get more. You are Locked On Vikings, your daily Minnesota Vikings podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Locked On Vikings Saturday edition on the Locked On Podcast Network. My name is Sam Ekstrom, at Sam Ekstrom on Twitter. Joined in studio by a very special guest, Arif Hassan, at Arif Hassan NFL, Vikings coverage for zonecoverage.com, and the author of the world-famous Vikings training camp guide. Arif, good weekend morning to you. Good weekend morning to you. What have you done this morning so far? Well, I've woken up, drank some water, Well, that's about it. That's a quality morning. I uh, got up, took the dog out to pee, brought him back in, Right. Um, sat around, typed up a couple things, took the dog out to pee again, brought him back in, um, brought the dog with me to get a donut. He peed, walked back, and uh, <laughs> typed up some questions for this interview, and maybe took him out one more time and brought him back in, and now I'm here. So it's, it's a still a youngin', right, your dog? Uh, yeah, he's uh, four months old. Oh. He's a bundle of energy. He's kind of losing that that puppy look a little bit. He's in that teenage stage where he's a little gangly, doesn't get stopped on the street quite as much. Right, right. But uh, yeah, he's he's fun. Handful though. Uh, we're gonna talk football, and before we do that, before we get into the, really the nuts and bolts of the Minnesota Vikings with Mankato one week from tomorrow, uh, let's talk about the training camp guide. It's it's dropping early next week sometime, from my understanding, and it's something you've been doing for a while. And you do it by yourself, right? You don't have like like a, a screed of writers helping you type this thing. This is all you. Yeah, it's all me. Although you know, every year that I do it, the more I think maybe I should bring on a screed of writers to do it. But yeah, no, it's uh, uh I like try to write about fifty thousand words between like in the in the three weeks that I have to write it. Uh, and over the last three years, uh, that's been something I've been able to do, kind of uh, fly-by-night operation. This year, uh, I've got a little bit more planning, but then I fell behind the planning. So, you know, hopefully, you know, we'll get it out uh, early next week, uh, have it available for sale. The uh, w- What's really nice about the guide is that previous years, it was available for $25. Uh, this year, it'll be available for $20 without any content being cut out. That's outstanding. And that'll be available for purchase at zonecoverage.com. And you can probably find a few links on social media, I assume, if you follow Arif, at Arif Hassan NFL. So, Mankato, week from tomorrow, are you pumped for Rookie Camp 2.0, basically, for the first three days? 
Yeah, right. Uh, I'm kind of curious about what the uh, what the nature of that is going to be because I imagine that there's still going to be sort of the two or three days after veterans arrive where you're not going to have pads on. So we're going to wait a little bit longer, I guess, until the pads come on. But it'll be nice to see sort of every one of the the new, new, new Vikings uh, just kind of performing uh, without so the context of the of the veterans around them. It's a new practice. I'm curious. It'll be a little awkward too, just because you don't have as many bodies. You're probably still going to have the fanfare. There's going to no one's really worthy of the fanfare there. I mean, injured players probably aren't going to be around very much, so right. it's not like they can chant Teddy, 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 Teddy. So it's going to be awkward, I think, for three days. We'll see how it goes. What are your best uh, Mankato stories you know, over the years? How many how many training camps have you been to? Uh, about man, I should know the answer to this off the top of my head. This should be my fifth. Uh, that's I I'm going to go with that. Uh, yeah, because I, I remember uh, I remember Christian Ponder uh, getting mm-hmm. ready to set for his first rookie season. Yeah, I remember that too. I think I was I was a, an abbreviated part of it in 2012 and 13, and then full time in 14. So this would be in some capacity number six for me. And I think my favorite story still involves you, Arif, and it'll stand Uh-oh. the test of time. It's you asking Phil Lodeholt about Daniel Hunter. And Phil Lodeholt having no clue who, who, who Daniel Hunter was. <laughs> was it? It was a rookie Daniel Hunter, correct? Yeah, it was a rookie Daniel yeah. Hunter. Uh, I think a, a lot of it was, you know, Phil Lodeholt not wanting to give you know rookies any credit. Uh, I mean, because you know that very day I saw Daniel Hunter take some reps against Phil Lodeholt, so it's not as if, not as if he was entirely unfamiliar. It was just like a rookie thing. Uh, you know, you don't get any recognition until you prove something. Um, you know, he's just screwing around. He's he's a funny dude, so. I bet a lot of the best stories at Mankato happen after practice is over, but unfortunately, I've been a commuter most of my Mankato years, so you're a guy who stays in Mankato, so what am I missing in the Mankato nightlife? <laughs> Not a lot of people associate Mankato with nightlife, although a lot of people try to make it happen. God bless them. Uh, my favorite story actually happened during training camp. Actually, like, in the middle of training camp, it was the scissor lift incident. Do you remember that? What year was this? Uh, it's got to be 2015 now. I was probably there, but I don't remember it. So uh, what happens is a bunch of beat reporters are like, you know, including me, are behind the second field, you know, far away from fans, far away from the entrance to the training camp. Uh, and we're there because, you know, the Vikings move practice around a lot, I think in part because of us. It's very difficult to get a good view. Uh, and the Vikings, you know, they've they've got the same view from all the cameras that they have monitoring practice at every place because they've got these scissor lifts where the cameras are, uh, and they have to move the scissor lifts around, but that's all scheduled out and stuff. Uh, so after one of those uh, practices in the middle field is over, uh, they're moving back to the field facing, or the closest to the fans, and uh, the the kid operating the scissor lift, you know, some poor intern has to has to, you know, get the scissor lift down, move it, get the scissor lift up. Normally a fairly routine process. Right. Uh, as the as the scissor lift is, like, moving, and, you know, we're all moving, right? We're not, like, paying it's, you know, become routine for us, too, despite this, like, giant machine moving around us. Uh, you know, we're all moving, it's moving, and then it just starts curling off to the side. <laughs> and it's not, it's not any one of us that notices it first. Like, someone you know, watching us, you know, shouts and looks at it. And so we all turn around, we look at it. 
and it just curls into the fence separating the training camp field <laughs> from the meet. And the fence just shears away, right? This is an enormous machine. And the kid, the poor guy, is just, like, distraught. It's like, the Vikings are going to fire him. Like, I don't know what he's saying, but it's, like, very clear uh, that – and he's, like, trying to fix it. like, turning the, the steering wheel. It is not responding. Uh, and he has Gosh. no idea what to do. The only other controls he has are to move the scissor lift up and down. And so he starts doing it because, like, the, clearly the steering wheel is not working. Uh, that obviously does not resolve this problem. Uh, and so practice has to essentially stop while they figure out the scissor lift. Turns It's not his fault. The axle broke. But there's just this huge hole that the Vikings <laughs> have to pay for because, you know, it's not their practice field. Uh, so they have to pay, you know, Minnesota State Mankato. But there's a hole that they caused in the fence. And, I don't know, it was, it was a hilarious. There were some pretty good pictures at the time. A lot of people took pictures. I was standing right next to it. So I ended up in a lot of pictures of this scissor lift being destroyed, uh, you know, destroying this fence. Uh, that was, you know, I think that was pretty funny. Uh, yeah, I don't know. Uh, there's a, it's kind of fun seeing sort of all the, um, all the, all the beat reporters and all the Vikings Entertainment Network guys, uh, you know, after after training camp, after practice is over, kind of get wild in town because, you know, none of us are the most socially capable people. So you know, seeing everybody, you know, attempt to dance. Uh, that's you know that, that's its own I think special. Wow, that that happens. Yeah, no, Wabi can I, cut a rug. Wow, I'm uh, I'm gonna shack up with you a couple nights just so I can see <laughs> this. Perhaps I'm trying to Twitter search Scissor Lift Vikings, but I'm not getting any results. So I swear this happened. I can send you pictures. Pixar didn't happen, man. <laughs> that sounds like a made up story. Very good made up story though. Uh, Minnesota Vikings, Michael Floyd suspended four games by the National Football League for precedent. Um, appeals in the past for extreme DUIs typically, I think, have been successful to some extent. Bobby Massey had his reduced from three games to two games, although his BAC was far lower than Michael Floyd's was. I think it was like 1.13, which is still very, very high, um, but not in, in the ballpark of 0.21. Plus, there was no kombucha, and I assume that was taken into account here. I assume that's all part of sort of the the resume against Floyd. Even though he was, in a way, exonerated from the kombucha, I feel like that still played a part in it and and pushed it up to four games, wouldn't you say? Well, I'm actually pretty curious. I'm wondering if the the NFL counts this as a separate incident, actually, the, the violation of the terms of the house arrest. Uh, I think that uh, in this case, the appeal won't be successful uh, in part because of, you know, what happened or maybe didn't happen with the kombucha. Um, but I think that the reason the appeal won't be successful is largely because the NFL has uh, explicit terms spelled out for what might cause additional games to be suspended because the initial suspension for a drunk driving related incident is two games. Um, but there are aggravated circumstances that can allow the NFL to impose it up to four games. One of those very explicitly is to have a BAC at twice the legal limit of the state that you're driving in. Uh, and Michael Floyd, so the difference between Bobby Massey and Michael Floyd, Bobby Massey wasn't twice that much. Michael Floyd was well over twice that much. Uh, and because that's explicitly spelled out in the rules, I think that that's going to make it very difficult for him to appeal the four games down to three. Not saying it's impossible, but I think it's going to be more difficult. And then I think the fact that he had a citation for drunk driving at Notre Dame is going to play a role. I think that the violation of the terms of this house arrest either plays a role in the appeal or will it result in an additional suspension because they've got, 
you know, rules for what counts as a second violation, a third violation, and stuff like that. Hopefully it doesn't count by itself as just a second violation. That's an eight-game suspension. Uh, two to eight, right? That's enormous. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, they might, you know, just call it conduct unbecoming or something like that and slap on an additional two to four. I don't want to be flippant here by saying there are winners for uh, for Michael Floyd's drunk driving suspension, but Laquan Treadwell certainly stands to benefit from this suspension because now instead of competing, you know, with someone else for snaps in the first four games, he's probably the clear-cut number three. I'd, I'd say Stacy Coley might benefit here because I think Coley was on the bubble. I, I don't think he was necessarily in the top six. Mm-hmm. Um, I think this helps him out to potentially make the roster, the first four games at least, and maybe even a guy like Isaac Frichty, who's who's on the verge as well. What do you think? Yeah, I think so. I think that uh, maybe the best way to put it is that there are players who stand to benefit from like a silver lining in the situation. Uh, yeah, and I think that you know Laquan Treadwell uh, most certainly is is the primary player in question for you know whether or not he has the ability to take advantage of the hole opened up in the roster. Uh, and so I, I think that you know he has the capability to prove that he should be a consistent wide receiver three. We'll see whether or not you know uh, he will. Um, but it does mean he has, you know, more time to, to you know, generate that, you know, chemistry. And we, we see very often, you know, players that, you know, are cleared to practice through, uh, you know, the preseason and training camp, but are suspended for the first couple of games of the season. We see that their practices with the first team draw down so that at the beginning of the season, um, you're not too comfortable with a player that's not going to be there. Uh, and so I think Treadwell in particular will, will benefit from that. Uh, other than that, I actually I'm really excited about Isaac Frichty. I think that you know uh, it took Adam Thielen to practice squad ten uh, ten years before he could you know make make a team. And I'm not saying he's going to have a Thielen like impact, but I think that you know a guy that you know ha- has shown you know pretty good preseason play like Isaac Frichty has the ability to take advantage of, of a sixth roster spot. I think that you're right between sort of the the two late round picks at receiver between. Stacy Coley and Rodney Adams. The way Rodney Adams has purportedly been playing through OTAs, you've been watching more than I have. Um, it, it seems like he may have an advantage over Stacy Coley, and that's going to cause some pretty significant problems for Stacy Coley were it not for you know the particulars of the suspension. Right. Well, Coley was hurt too for most of that, so Coley's barely shown anything. Adams has looked pretty adequate, so I think Coley, assuming he's healthy, and I think he was getting close in mandatory minicamp, I think Coley's probably going to be there competing. The question is, you know, can he separate himself from a guy like Frichty, who certainly has got a a little few more reps under his belt coming into this year, and I think the team likes him, and and I like him too. I think Frichty's got a lot of potential. So do you think the team does keep six wide receivers? Does that seem logical in your mind? Yeah, and I think that it, it wouldn't be that difficult for them to because I'm not really confident that there's going to be a room for a fullback for the first time ever in Vikings history, right? Right. Uh, it, on this roster, you know, you take a look at, you know, what Pat Shermer's done over the past, you know, three, four years as a quarterback's coach, offensive coordinator in Philadelphia, St. Louis, Cleveland Browns, typically did not carry a fullback. Uh, and so I don't think they're going to carry, you know, four running backs, which is going to be... We know who the three running backs are. It's going to be difficult for, for someone to prove that they deserve a fourth running back spot. It's going to be easier to prove that you know there deserves to be a sixth wide receiver spot, especially in light of the uncertainty that exists outside of Adam Thielen and Stephon Diggs. You want to have like a, a few more cards in the deck there. So, yeah, I think six wide receivers is, is certainly possible. 
Is Democracy in Danger or Decline? Condoleezza Rice, William Galston, and Carlos Gutierrez and others take on this question in the fall edition of The Catalyst, a journal of ideas from the Bush Institute. Surveys show Americans place less trust in institutions like the media and business. Others contend America has faced far more challenging periods and emerged strong. Leading policymakers, Bush Institute experts, and respected journalists take on this debate. Read about it at bushcenter.org slash catalyst. Do you think uh, there are any players on offense that would be surprise cuts? I think that we're going to find an offensive lineman cut that maybe not that we didn't see coming, but you know, there's so many bodies at the offensive line. If they if they keep ten, you know, you're going to lose out on like you know potentially Reed Fraggle, which is not an enormous surprise. Rashad Hill, I think, would be a little bit of a surprise. Mm-hmm. You know, but we could see a surprise cut. Jeremiah Searles, TJ Clemmings, who had to move to guard uh, in favor of like Danny Isadora, right? Uh, or or Zach Kieran, or maybe Willie Beavers. You know, proves that he deserves to stay on the roster at the beginning of the year this year. You know, I, I think that there's the possibility that we could see you know one of those guys that we kind of penciled in at the as a depth player uh, as being you know, a surprise cut. I don't see, you know, any of the quarterback situations changing. I see the biggest surprise would be whether or not Taylor Heineke makes quarterback two over Case Keenum or the other way around. Um, other than that, you know, there might be a surprise cut with Michael Floyd. You know, might maybe they're just so happy with, you know, the way that the the middle of the receiver depth chart is working out that they really just don't want to deal with the headache of Michael Floyd. But I don't know how much that would, you know, constitute a surprise. I think that mostly what we're going to see in terms of, you know, training camp, you know, 53-man roster cut shocks would be at the second level of the O-line. I would agree. I think Beavers is on the chopping block. I think Karen is on the chopping block. Clemmings to some extent, although I get the sense that they really want to see what he can do at guard, even though it's hilarious that I think two years ago the exact quote from Zimmer was, he's, he's going to be tackle from now on. Because they tried him at guard. It didn't right, work. Right. He went to tackle. They committed to it. And now, suddenly, they're extremely optimistic about his guard play. So that what does that say about his tackle play? <laughs> yeah, right. Exactly. <laughs> but, and if you remember what uh, Mike Zimmer said about Mike Harris uh, switching from tackle to guard, uh, he was after the Buffalo game uh, where he actually played pretty well at guard. Uh, you know, somebody asked Mike Harris you know, about you know, Mike Harris, and he's like, you know, we were a little bit hesitant because it's so difficult for somebody with long arms to have the requisite quickness to deal with the short spaces at guard. And Mike Harris's arms pretty long, um, but you know T.J. Clemmings was drafted specifically because he had the frame, you know, of a tackle. He's much longer arms than someone like Mike Harris, uh, and so it'll be interesting to see if sort of that disadvantage is going to play, you know, significant. And, and I wouldn't be surprised if that disadvantage is what kept him out as a rookie at playing at guard, whether or not he has the ability to sort of overcome that yeah, here this year at guard. And it's also possible that we get to training camp and the Vikings have scrapped the experiment. They've been known to try things in OTAs and then basically just go say, nope, didn't work. We're going to go back to the original plan. Right, Trey Wayne's the and, slot cornerback. Correct. The summer is the time for experimentation. So we'll see what happens once we see them all on July 26, 27. Defensive side of the ball, guy I think is most susceptible, other, other than maybe like Nefade or Nubbo, Jabari Price, I think, could could be cut. I'm not sure. It's between Price and Roberson. I think Lemur is probably susceptible. If you look at what they have at linebacker, all the youth and uh, and a decent amount of depth, I feel like if Lemur didn't prove in year one, 
you know, at age 26 or 27 that, that he can be a, a full-time player. I just don't know if he's worth keeping around when you have so much upside with other guys. Yeah, no, I, I think maybe that you isolated the spot where that could happen because the question is whether or not they keep six or seven linebackers, possibly five. Uh, you know, it depends on kind of the, the special team's value that, you know, people who are not Kendrell Brothers, who has established special team's value, you know, has the ability to provide. Uh, and, uh, you know, if you've got good special team's value uh, already with sort of your, your second-level linebackers, you know, you're potentially, you know, your Eric Wilson's, Sean Washington's, Ben Gideon's, uh, then uh, you don't need to carry that additional linebacker, and that's probably it for Emmanuel Lemur. Uh, you know, you know Lemur was uh, injured at the beginning of, of OTAs. We saw, you know, Edmund Robinson uh, take some of those snaps, and, you know, I think that gives him a little bit of an advantage. I know that Lemur's been playing a little bit of first team since then. Um, but if, if it's close, you know, I don't know why you wouldn't preference sort of the upside there. Edmund Robinson will see, you know, starting in-game snaps. It's hopefully going to make him a lot better. And at the same time, you should be pretty happy with, you know, uh, Kentrell Brothers and Ben Gideon, uh, you know, as as run-stuffing linebackers. And really, you just want to see, you know, someone like Eric Wilson or Elijah Lee, you know, step up as, as potential outside linebackers that have the ability to sort of fill in at either side. Uh, so I wouldn't be surprised to see Emmanuel Lemur, uh sort of on the outside looking in. What would you do at safety? Because I've labored over this one. You've got, I think... Three players, two spots, Harris, Curse, and the converted safety, Jack Tocho. Do you keep two, as they've typically done, and uh, which two would those be? I'd move Terrence Newman to safety. I know the Vikings are very resistant to that. They did it for one game, and, yeah. uh, and, uh, and you know, he actually played pretty well in that game, uh, and he's more open to it than it seems like the Vikings are. Um, but if the Vikings are, are as committed as they are to having Terrence Newman merely compete for a slot cornerback spot with Mackenzie Alexander, if they're confident enough in Alexander, uh, I, I think that Terrence Newman at safety would resolve a lot of things. And then, you know, obviously that creates a bit more of a crowded safety room, makes it maybe a little bit more difficult to make decisions. You know, but I think that if Anton Exum, uh, you know, hasn't proven that, you know, he should be the starting safety, and if he hasn't proven that he can win out a depth spot over someone like Anthony Harris, you know, that's probably going to be it for him. You know, I think that, you know, Jaron Curse, I think that we've kind of hit sort of, and it's weird to say that for a player who's known for his upside, but I, I think we've kind of hit what we can get from Jaron Curse. I wouldn't be surprised if he was on the chopping block this year. Uh, and I'd like to see what Jack Tocha can do as a, as a depth guy. So to me, you know, those two guys uh, could be at risk, and then you can keep, you know, and that would be an unusual number of safeties to keep. Um, but you've got, you know, two cornerback safety converts, you know, Jack Tocho and Terrence Newman that will provide you depth at cornerback. Uh, and then you have to, you don't have to keep as many of the traditional safeties. And I think between Anton Exum, Jaron and Curse, Anthony Harris, you know, you get rid of the two of them that are the least likely to perform. And to, in my head, that's probably Jaron Curse and Anton Exum. Do you have a good explanation for why the Vikings seem to be resistant to getting higher caliber play at safety uh, via the draft because they've been obsessed past, really in the Mike Zimmer era, with trying to get value at that position. Anderson Dejo, undrafted. Uh, Jaron Kerr, seventh round. Anton Exum, sixth round. Tocho, seventh round. They have not been active there in uh, free agency aside from trying to get Michael Griffin in the twilight of his career. Didn't work out. They tried Taylor Mays, twilight or, you know, downside of his career. Didn't work out. And they've had many chances in the draft to go up and get somebody in a higher round, haven't done it. 
can you figure out why the team is resistant and does it do you think it reflects their philosophy at the position do they feel like and is this an analytics thing where spielman says you can get talent in a later round or not even in the draft yeah well i think it might be a combination of like i think uh there's a good chance that analytics are confirming what coaches have thought, actually thought for a long time. And you take a look at the Hall of Fame, the number of safeties are in there is significantly lower than the number of cornerbacks, the number of linebackers, et cetera. You know, the further away you are from the ball, you know, in, in old school coaching circles, you know, the less valuable you likely are. Uh, and so I think that, you know, traditionally, you know, I mean, safeties are very rarely drafted in the top 10. This is an unusual draft for safeties. Uh, and I was kind of surprised, you know, in this such a rich draft for safeties, you know, why the Vikings, uh, you know, didn't really, you know, dip their toes except to get a guy who played cornerback. Uh, and so I think that it, it's very clear that, you know, you get one safety, you know, in, in Harrison Smith in the first round, uh, that the second safety probably provides, you know, marginal value over that. It would be nice, you know, uh, for, for Vikings fans to see two elite safeties back there. But I think that they probably see, you know, the additional value of a safety is not being that much more than, you know, or, or being a lot less than the additional value um, of, of a long-term starter at defensive end, you know, or, or somebody who can fill in at defensive tackle given sort of the issues that they're having there. So I think that plays a, a, a pretty big role. And then also, uh, given the way that they played their safeties, you really have to find very versatile safeties because, you know, Harrison Smith, uh, plays free safety just as well as he plays strong safety, uh, and they use him in both. And then he's also a pass rusher, and they mirror those responsibilities among their safeties. You can't just get you know a free safety type like Malik Hooker or a strong safety type like Jamal Adams. Uh, you need to get somebody who's multi-capable in order to sort of fit what they're trying to do. It's just harder to find those guys too, and I don't know that we've seen any one of those guys go in the first round. Uh, so you might as well invest in guys who have you know, the capability at some point of, of being able to do both later on and get a couple of those guys. If you ever want to have just a little a little snicker or a little chuckle, just go to Google and type in strong safety Harrison Smith and then type in free safety Harrison Smith and you will find equal publications yeah, that exactly. misidentify. I don't know if it's even misidentifying because I don't know if he has a defined position because he's so versatile, but nobody can decide what he is. Is he an FS? Is he an SS? I think probably the the best practice would be to just say safety, Harrison Smith. Yeah, exactly. At this point. Arif, I got to take a moment to talk about one of our fine partners, SeatGeek, which makes buying tickets to sports and concerts extremely easy. SeatGeek is the smartest, easiest way to buy tickets to live events. With SeatGeek's seamless mobile experience, you can buy and sell tickets in just two taps on that mobile app. I can instantly find seats, and I've used SeatGeek for many events in the past year, and I find consistently that they are better than the competitors. SeatGeek is designed to make your ticket-buying experience easier than ever, saving you time and money by searching multiple ticket sites to compare prices and find amazing deals. And to get you the most bang for your buck, SeatGeek grades every ticket based on value to help you immediately identify the best seats that fit your budget. Every purchase is fully guaranteed so you can shop confidently. It's the go-to app for finding the best deals on every type of ticket, sports, concerts, comedy, and theater. And here's what you have to do. If you listen to the show, you get $20 off the first SeatGeek purchase that you make. Just download the SeatGeek app and enter promo code L-O-N-F-L 
today. Promo code L-O-N-F-L, $20 off your first seat geek purchase. Arif, this is a two-part show, and we're going to wrap up episode number one of this two-part show. But first, before we do that, I want to play a quick game with you. It's called Name That Rookie Free Agent College. Oh, geez. Are you ready? Uh, yeah, Sure. Okay. No looking. I know you got a computer there. Yeah, okay. I'm not, I'm not looking. Hands off. My, hand, my hands are... You can see my hands. All right. Even though he's not on the team anymore, Nick Fett. Oh, oh man. Okay. Nick Fett converted to tackle, I think. Uh, yeah. God. I'm thinking my head is going Nick Foles, Arizona school. Uh, whatever. Uh, Arizona. Incorrect. <laughs> got to think Sage Rosenfels here. Iowa State. Okay. okay. Oh, yeah, of course. Right. Of course. Sa- same school as Tom Farniak. Correct. <laughs> <laughs> Sam McCaskill. Oh, man, that's uh, not Mountain West Conference, but Mountain West Area. Uh, I'm confusing him with Caleb Kidder right now. Uh, Caleb Kidder, I think, is Montana, so I'm going to go Sam McCaskill, Boise State. Yes! All right. Killed two All birds right. with one stone. You got Caleb Kidder knocked out as well. How about Horace Richardson? Oh, man. SMU or Houston, one of the two. Uh, get them regionally. Uh, I'm going to go with Houston. Ooh, should have gone with SMU. Oh, man. SMU. That's rough. That's rough. Zach Lyons, alma mater. Uh, Tayshawn Bauer. LSU. That was easy. Nailed it. Avante Collins. TCU. Dylan Bradley. Southern Miss. Yes. You're just mowing through. Uh, easiest one, Wes Lunt. Come on now. Illinois. Got it. All Got right. it. It's, I always confuse Indiana and Illinois. <laughs> so I just I needed to make sure. Sean Washington. Texas A&M. R.J. Shelton and Josiah Price. Michigan State. Terrell Newby. Nebraska. Eric Wilson. Cincinnati. I think that's it. All right. I think you got you got all of them except for the fir- Ri- Richardson and yeah. uh, Nick Fett. And Nick Fett, yeah. Nicely done, sir. I was pretty close in Horace Richardson, too. I just want to point that out. I'll give you half credit for it. <laughs> nice job, Arif. Uh, part two coming up with Arif. That will be on Monday. If you're listening to this over the weekend, part two on Monday. I'm Sam Ekstrom. Talk to you soon. Is democracy in danger or decline? Condoleezza Rice, William Galston, and Carlos Gutierrez and others take on this question in the fall edition of The Catalyst, a journal of ideas from the Bush Institute. Surveys show Americans place less trust in institutions like the media and business. Others contend America has faced far more challenging periods and emerged strong. Leading policymakers, Bush Institute experts, and respected journalists take on this debate. Read about it at bushcenter.org catalyst. Hey, Locked On Minnesota listeners, this is Tony Abbott here to tell you about the brand new Locked On Wild podcast, where my co-host Joe Bully and I break down the Minnesota Wild every single day. How can you listen? Just search for Locked On Wild in your favorite podcast app and subscribe to bring Locked On Wild to your device every day.